My name is Andrea Bumstead and I am a member at Restore Temecula. If you are new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help in any way, please visit our website at www.RestoreTemecula.com and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android App Store. With all of that said, we hope you enjoy the message. All right. Okay. Good morning, everybody. Oh, this is a, a different experience in this room. I really like this room. It feels a little bit like uh, when I went to spring training in Arizona in March, and there was 25% capacity at the stadium. So it's like 10,000 seats, 2,000 people. And so it's like we're back in, in, uh, in Tempe in spring training. But I love seeing your faces. This is better than spring training uh, because it's God's people together uh, around the scriptures to experience the grace and mercies of Jesus. And so I'm excited to be with you guys. Uh, my name is Herrick. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm one of the pastors. Uh, Tom, who, Tom and Ebony are out of town. Uh, they're, they're just taking some time to refresh, to get some vacation in. They miss you. They send their love. And, um, and so we're here. I'm here, and I'm preaching, and I'm excited to do so. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Uh, if you don't, we're going to have slides up on the, on the screen. But today, here's what we're going to do. Here's where we're going for this morning. Uh, well, this week's message builds on last week's message, if you were here. If you weren't, you don't need to have that information necessarily. But what you probably should know is that we are going to be doing for three weeks, starting last week, so last week, this week, and next week, basically portraits, uh, vignettes of Jesus encountering people, meeting people in different spaces, in different states. So last week, it was grief. It was Jesus meeting Mary Magdalene and her grief. And so we got to kind of come alongside Mary and, and find out how does Jesus treat grieving disciples? How does he engage with them? How does he bring hope and healing to someone who's grieving? Uh, this week, we're actually going to deal with fear and shame. So we're going to be talking quite a, bit, quite a bit about that. How does Jesus actually encounter and engage with disciples, his followers, who are dealing with deep, deep fear, danger, and then also they're experiencing guilt. And then next week, you'll want to come back because Andrea's going to be preaching on doubt. So don't miss that one. It's going to be really good. So with that said, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and pray, but we're going to be talking about fear, and we're going to be talking about shame today. Two topics we all love. Uh, so Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. It's alive. And your son speaks to us by spirit, through his word, and I thank you that you are speaking to us today. I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears to hear what you have to say. I pray that you would be pleased to use my, uh, to work through me to deliver some good news to my friends and family and our guests uh, today. And I pray that we would have an encounter with you. And, and whatever fear we're carrying, uh, it's a culture of fear. We're, we're all, whether we realize it or not, we're all part of it. So whatever fear we're carrying today about whatever it might be and whatever shame we might be bringing into this room, I pray that 
through an encounter with Jesus that we would walk out here lighter, with a deeper sense of joy, with peace, as disciples who are loved, as disciples who are seen, and disciples who are precious to you as your family in this world. So we ask you to come, Holy Spirit. We love you, and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, we're gonna be in John 20. John 20, verses 19 to 23. What's happening here? Quick bit of context. This is actually Easter Sunday, and it's Easter Sunday in the evening. So last week when we, when we unpacked the story of Mary Magdalene, it was Easter Sunday morning. So now there's actually been a period of time where Jesus met Mary Magdalene and revealed himself to her and her grief turned to joy. That's what we talked about last week. And now this week, we're actually catching up with the disciples whom Jesus sent Mary to, to share he's alive. And so you might expect if you, I don't know, if a, a trusted friend told you our dead rabbi is alive and, we saw, and I saw him, uh, can you imagine some of the things that you might be experiencing? Some maybe confusion. Uh, you may be experiencing uh, some disbelief, potentially. You might be experiencing a whole lot of things. And we're going to get into some of the other things that they're experiencing, fear and shame, in the rest of our time. So John 20, 19 to 23, says this. When it was evening on that first day of the week, so Easter Sunday evening, the disciples were gathering together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. So there's the fear that they're experiencing. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If, anyone for, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of, sins of any, they are retained. That's only four verses, but there's so much happening here. So we're gonna do my, I'm going to do my best to, to cover what I think is most relevant and pressing for our church, uh, which really, are, I think, are two things. So if you're taking notes, this is kind of like where, where we're going. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the basis of our peace, the basis of our peace or the foundation of our peace. And the second thing we're going to look at is the basis of our work, because Jesus has a commission he has work for these disciples to do. So the basis of our work. Basis of our peace, basis of our work. So we'll start with our peace. The basis of our peace. What's happening in this text? I already started to talk through it a little bit. But I want you to imagine what it would be like to be these disciples who are there on Easter Sunday evening. I have a quote from a Bible scholar. His name is Colin Cruz. He sums it up more succinctly than I can. So I'm going to do that. I'm just going to read his words. He says this. Prior to his death, Jesus told his disciples that they would all be scattered and leave him alone, John 16, 32. When he was arrested, he told the soldiers to let his disciples go, John 18, 8 to 9. And he was taken alone to the high priest and eventually to Pilate to be condemned to death. The disciples, and especially Peter, who had denied him three times, would have felt deeply ashamed that they had abandoned Jesus in his hour of need. They had scattered and abandoned Jesus when things got hard. And I don't know if anybody uh, has read this text recently, but they actually all said, we're never going to do that. It's in Matthew. I think it's Matthew 26. It was Peter's like, I'm never going to, we're ride or die, Jesus. I will never, I will never give up on you. I'll never abandon you. And it says that all of them said the same thing. 
But when push came to shove, they fled. And now they're afraid and they're ashamed and they're carrying guilt. And I was thinking about this. I was like, what, what would this be like? What's something similar? And it just popped in my head. It'd be kind of like leaving someone at the altar. Someone that you had expressed commitment to. Someone that you'd expressed an undying love for. Someone that you had dreams, that together you had dreams of being partners, that you had dreams of starting a family, you had a shared vision for your future, and then you break your word. Then you no-show on the day, the most important day. And so the fiance that's left up on the altar is publicly humiliated and embarrassed. I don't know if you guys have watched The Wedding Singer. Uh, this is I'm dating myself, I think, but that's, that's what happens in that movie. Uh, I think it's Adam Sandler who gets left on the altar. And he goes into like this spiral, this de depression. I can't get into it. But the point is, in public humiliation, embarrassment, grief. And so the runaway bride-to-be, I guess we could call her, goes into hiding. This is, this is what I thought of that would be similar to this. Goes into hiding and starts avoiding people. And people are upset and looking for you, so you, you go hide. And it's kind of like this... Uh, fearful, self-protective decision that then leads to shame and guilt and fear. So they were fearful, they were ashamed. They would not have had any peace, these disciples. And you can imagine that they're sitting there and they're probably talking to each other. Jesus died on Friday. Saturday passed. Sunday. It's Sunday evening. So I could imagine just speculating here, but like, what would the conversations be like? It's like, hey guys, we can't we can't stay here forever. We can't hide out forever. They're going to find us. We've got to do something. What do we do? It would be just like such a hopeless feeling. Our leader, who we bailed on, is dead. Mary is claiming to have seen him, which I don't really know what to do about that. I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure that I really believe that. So there's confusion swirling, all these different things. It's really, it's a low moment. It's a really low moment for all these disciples. Why do I sketch that out? Because I think it's important to acknowledge that it's in that lowest moment that the most amazing thing happens. Greetings. Out of nowhere, Jesus. Greetings. Peace be with you. So if you could imagine this, it's that, that, uh, that bride-to-be that stood up her fiancé at the altar. She's in hiding, and... She's been hiding for, for days, and then without opening the door, there's her fiance. You're like, whoa! <laughs> Completely startled, number one. Number two, heart drop. Just imagine what that would be like. I left you at the altar, and here you are. And she looks at his eyes, and they're puffy, they're kind of red. You can tell that this, this broken man hasn't slept. But instead of having like a look of disgust, instead of having this look of resentment, instead of like, just wait, just you wait till I get done with you, his eyes are tired, but they're kind. They're gentle. There's an approachability to him. And then pretty quickly you're like, oh, he's safe. He's totally safe. And then he's like, he extends a hand out to his, his bride-to-be. And she can't believe it that what he wants is her hand in his so that they can walk out together united as one. It's sort of like that with the disciples in this, in this case.
One scholar put it this way, Jesus gave his frightened disciples what they needed most, himself. Himself. Amazing stuff. Colin Cruz, another Bible scholar, he said this, when Jesus appeared to them behind locked doors, his greetings of peace be with you showed he was not holding their failures against them. Rather, he was offering a restored relationship. Is that good news to anybody in the room? Yeah, it's good news to me too. One more. I'm, I'm quoting a lot today, but there's just these scholars, they just say things better than I can, succinctly. Michael Eaton, Jesus is amazingly gracious towards us, even when we have badly disappointed him and spoiled our testimony. Pause. When we have disappointed him and spoiled our testimony, he says to us, peace. And then Jesus showed them the basis of peace. He showed them his hands and his side. Peace is based upon the fact that Jesus literally died for us upon the cross. So here's my first point, if you're taking notes. The basis of our peace is his grace. The basis of our peace is his grace. Uh, One of the things I love about Christianity is that it's a story-formed faith. It's a story-formed faith. If you look at uh, the book of Acts, for example, you're going to read these disciples, these followers of Jesus. Uh, One of them, the Apostle Paul, what he does often is he tells his story. He just tells them, here's how I experienced Jesus. And he does this before all kinds of people, all the way up to royalty, to kings. So it's a story-formed faith. So I'm just going to tell you some of my story. I started that last week, so this is kind of building on what I've already shared. But how have I experienced this reality of my peace being based on his grace? Um, When I was 18 years old, I was a student at the University of San Diego down in San Diego, and Jesus invited me to follow him. I was a freshman. Uh, I lived in a freshman dorm, uh, like many of you went to college, probably remember that. Uh, it's quite an experience to move out of your house, out of mom and dad's house, to then move in with 20 strangers uh, and have like one bathroom that you share uh, together. So it's just like you get in kind of uncomfortably close to each other very quickly. And there was a few Christians on my floor, and they really had a heart for sharing God's word with people. And so they started a Bible study, which I started to attend. And they started to invite me to meetings on the campus. And they started kind of, as they saw that I had an interest, they started just kind of like letting me in to their life. And they started just kind of showing me, like, here's what it's like to follow Jesus. Here's, uh, here's how I've encountered him, how I've experienced him. Here's what it's like. And so I got a pretty good picture right away of what Jesus, following Jesus was all about. And on the one hand, I was drawn in by their passion, by their confidence that Jesus is real. It's not a confidence that I had personally. Uh, I was drawn in by the fact that he's working through these young men who had purpose at 18, (laughs) that they're not just on a college campus just to get a degree, just to make a lot of money and have a career. Like they had a, a mission for being there. It was to testify to Jesus Christ and what he had done in their lives. That was fascinating to me. And they knew him, like he was intimate. They rolled deep together. 
which I thought was so fascinating uh, based on my background, which is not like that at all. So that's one side of it. And then on the other side of it, I was actually pretty turned off <laughs> in some ways because I was put off by the prospect that following Jesus meant that he would be king over me and over my life. That I wasn't as stoked about. And so, because there were parts of my life that I enjoyed very much that Jesus was not king over. So for example, I had friendships. Uh, I had relationships that I thought, if I follow Jesus, these relationships that I treasure so, so much, they will not last. It's not happening. I knew that how some of my friends felt about Christians because I heard it. I heard the conversation. Uh, the term God squad, anybody heard that? Uh, that term on campus? Yeah, apparently it's not a term of endearment. <laughs> That's not what it is. Uh, it wasn't like a tribute, like, man, the God squad is here. <laughs> It was more like a, it was followed by like eye rolling and like the, uh, that one, that thing. That's what it was. Not a badge of honor. It wasn't cool. It was just costly. Honestly, Christians were kind of lame. That's the way that my friends thought about Christians. And as I got to know some Christians, I was like, I don't know that that's exactly right, but nevertheless, I could see why you'd feel that way. I don't want you to think that about me, though. That's kind of where I was. But there was more. There was also romance. Every 18-year-old who's been on college campus probably has gone through some sort of romance that feels like the end of the world, but it, it's 18-year-old, um, whatever, relationship, romantic relationship. And I knew that if I followed Jesus, that it would have massive implications for how I dated and how I would pursue romantic relationships. Also, I knew that following Jesus meant that I would be his student his follower, and also on my college campus, it would mean that I would be his representative. And again, because of all the reasons I've already talked to you about, being Jesus' representative on campus was not something that was particularly appealing because of how that repulsed and turned people off, certain people, not everybody, but certain people that were close to me. And so I was trying to find my place and my people on campus. But for me, I saw following Jesus as a path to being on the margins, to being on the outside looking in. That's what I thought. That's how I felt at the time. And a part of a group of people that weren't like respected, but were mocked. Not by everybody, not all the time, but certainly sometimes and by some people. And I was not looking to be different in any way, shape, or form. One thing I did not want to do was stand out. Unless it was like standing out in a cool way. They kind of got me some attention. For the most part, it was just like blend in and then kind of like on occasion, like do something cool, but for the most part, just come back and blend in. Does anybody know, is, is this, okay, great. Again, 10,000 people, 2,000, 10,000 seats, 2,000 people, it's hard to tell <laughs> what's going on here. Uh, okay. So I feared rejection. As I like really considered and thought about my life, which by the way, great exercise. Think about your life. <laughs> Worth it, I promise. Uh, Grab some coffee that you, or tea or whatever you like, set aside an hour or two, and just think. Put the phone away, shut it off, and just think about your life. And think about Jesus and like where they intersect. Quite a thing to do. That's what I did this week, and this is all coming out. So for me, the tension that I felt of like being interested in Jesus and also being repulsed by what it would mean for me, it was starting to get to the point where I couldn't handle it anymore. It was, it was getting to be too much. I felt that pull towards Christianity and towards following Jesus and that pull, that, 
resistance to it as well. So one day, I went to a Christian meeting on campus, which was not uncommon. There were churches all around USD, down there in San Diego, that would send their, uh, their preachers or whatever on campus. And so there was a partnership that was forming between church, local churches and the school. So they sent a preacher in. I went into this meeting with some Christian friends. And something was different that night. Uh, it was an evening session, and something struck a chord with me. I don't even remember what was talked about. No idea. I remember the guy and what he looked like and stuff, but I just don't recall what, what he was saying, but it almost didn't matter because what I walked away with was thinking, I can't do this anymore. Jesus is calling me, and he's good, and I have to make a decision one way or the other. So I get in the car with these, with these guys, USD's campus, which now feels tiny, felt huge to us before, so we would drive around it. It's like a three-minute drive, but I wouldn't walk anywhere. We just drove. So I was like, all right, I'll get in the car. You guys can take me to the dorm. And we just kind of sat there, and we started to just kind of talk through what was happening. How are you doing with this? How are you processing this? They're all Christians. I'm not at this point. And I think based on my responses, they decide it's, it's time. It's time that we actually pray for this young man in person and see what God does. So which I went along with. I was like, okay, we're going to pray for the spirit to come into your life, Eric. Okay. So I'm kind of nervous, sort of excited. And then all of a sudden, all three of them start speaking in tongues, which I was like, what is happening? If you don't know what, what, what tongues are, it's like kind of, it's this private prayer language is a lot of the ways, a lot of times what it's described. It's not, it could be a tongue that you, it could be an actual language that you don't know, but it may not be, I don't know. Here's the thing, I, I'm just telling you the story. I don't, it doesn't matter what you think about tongues, you could believe in tongues or not, you're all welcome here. Um, I'm just telling you what happened. They start speaking in tongues and I was like, this is all new and different and kind of weird, but I can't deny that something clicked in that moment. I got back to my dorm, and I had the first conversation I've ever had with my roommate about God. My roommate was agnostic. He's someone whose uh, approval I craved as much as anybody on earth. He's agnostic, not like a big fan of Christians, but we had our first conversation about who God is and what he's doing and what's happening with me, which was... um, which was remarkable for me at that point because I was kind of living this dual life. And then I went over to my girlfriend's apartment and she grew up in the church, but she wasn't following Jesus. And I told her what had happened and that Jesus was calling us to follow him. And for a moment, I was open and honest. It was crazy because there was actually this moment of like integration where I kind of became like a whole person for a moment where it was like, what I believe and what Jesus is calling me to is becoming what I am. And what bridged that was an encounter with Jesus. And one of the things I feared losing the most, it's like Jesus sent me to the two people that I feared losing the most, my best friend and my girlfriend. And he sent me to those people, which is quite a stretch for me. The potential for rejection was massive, but Jesus was doing something in me and through me. He was like calling lost sheep to himself through a wandering sheep, me. So my girlfriend's response was really something. She heard what I said about following Jesus. She listened respectfully. She could see that I was impacted, that I was like, you know, earnest about what I was saying. And her response was, couldn't have been clear. It was a, 
No. No, no, no. My daughter, Ellie, she's 18. She's getting good at saying no, 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 no. It was kind of like... Oh, gosh. There's another one you don't know about. Just kidding. But that has happened in my family, whatever. So... But she was like, no, I will not follow Jesus with you. She could not have been more clear, and I have to give her props for that. <laughs> there was no, like, waffling, like, well, maybe. Or, like, well, I'll go with you, sure. She was like, nope. You got to make a choice, big boy. <laughs> That's basically what she said. <laughs> and so I had to follow Jesus with a girl. I had a, it was a fork in the road moment. I don't know how many of those we get in our lifetimes, but that was one, for sure. And I did what every future pastor and church planner would do in that situation. I told Jesus, it's been real. Let's go, babe. <laughs> I walked out on Jesus in Christian community. I mean, that's what I did. And as I reflected on it, um, I was not unaffected by what happened. I was deeply affected by what happened. It was like fear just wove itself into my core. I had turned Jesus away. I turned him down. I just had this gnarly fear, almost like a fear of death. I don't know if, if, um, if you've ever been in an airplane and all of a sudden like things get, get sketch, that fear <laughs> comes out, like, oh my gosh, I could die today, right now. It was like living with that all the time. It was like this fear of judgment and this fear of death. It was gnarly. I was ashamed, and so I hid from Christians on campus. I think the only thing that I was happy about is that I didn't have to worry about losing my best friend or my girl. But really, I just kind of exchanged one type of fear for another. And I had abandoned Jesus out of a fear-driven self-focus. That's what happened. And so guilt, shame, and hiding became my MO. And that went on for a while. I graduated, I got a job in San Diego. I started my adult life. And so that relationship that I had sacrificed so much for, within a year, it started to fall apart. And it was just hanging on by a thread. Now I felt really ashamed and afraid and also just dumb. It was kind of like, I grappled with all of this for what? And so something interesting happened. I found myself looking for stories of Christians on the internet. I don't remember 2008. I'm not sure if YouTube was big then or not. I think it was already around. But I just start like searching all over the place for Christian testimonies of people who had experienced Jesus because I just needed to know there's hope. That's all I was looking for. There's still hope for me. So I started attending like Sunday worship gatherings down in San Diego, and over the course of a few weeks, something happened. It went from I'm doomed to like, wait a minute, maybe there's hope for me. I'm not alone. Other people have experienced similar things. Other people have walked out in Jesus only to find him again. So hope kind of started to rise. And I heard one guy tell his story of coming to faith in Jesus, and during his story, there was this visual of the cross, and in that moment, I met with Jesus. He wasn't in the room, but he may as well have been. He may as well have been there going like this, showing me his, his hands and his side. And so I became convinced, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that he died for me. And so he greeted me, afraid and ashamed with peace, and offered me a restored relationship with himself. That's what happened. And what changed me, really, was I realized like this relationship, this, this romance is no longer the basis of my peace. Jesus' grace is. And that changed everything for me. So it set me down a path I never expected, but I wouldn't trade for anything. So I'm here today. 
I just want to ask you the question, man, do you know this peace? Have you personally today, have you experienced his grace for yourself? Have you ever stood and looked at his, like he's, have you ever experienced him beckoning you? Even though he's not in the room, he may as well have been. Showing you his wounds, showing you his side, saying, this is what I did for you. If you have, then you have more reason than anyone on earth to be grateful and rejoice. Like, when we get together as God's people, it's okay if it feels like a party and there's like laughter, and and it does. And that's one of the reasons I like this church so much. And I I love you guys, and I like being a part of this community is there's a celebration, it's rejoicing, because we've got it way better than we deserve. Let's dance. Like, that's the Christian life. I'm not going to dance. I'm not going to telegraph it like that. It's going to come one day when you're not expecting it. <laughs> so this is what it's like. And if you haven't, what's holding you back? What's holding you back? If this story tells you anything, like he's not holding back on you. He offers you what you need most himself. Look at his hands. Look at his side. Look at the holes in his feet. That was for you. He identifies with your pain. He knows everything you would ever do. And he went through the cross to release you from the burden of sin and shame so that you would not be crushed. He purchased your peace on the cross. That's Jesus. So again, first point, the basis of our peace is his grace. Second thing, this will be shorter, the basis of our work. The basis of our work So the context here is mission. It's that Jesus has given his disciples a commission. Go into the world and I've given you something to do. So what's the basis of our work as disciples of Jesus? And let's look back at the text. John 20, 21 to 23. Jesus said to them again, so underline again. He's already said this. This is a repeat. What I love about Jesus is that he's, uh, as a preacher, one of the things that I, I end up doing inevitably is circling the runway and landing, and I just can't quite land the plane at the end of a message. I just don't, I struggle with it. I get close, I land, I'm like, I take off again. Jesus doesn't have that problem. He knows like when to land the plane. So if he's repeating himself, it's on purpose. It's totally on purpose. So this is important. He said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So here is Jesus talking to the disciples about their mission in the world, which is actually based on his. It's pretty remarkable stuff if you think about it. We moved, we moved from Jesus offering these wandering disciples a restored relationship with him in their fear and shame to, all right, let's get back to work what we've been training for after all these years. I think it's important to acknowledge quickly that Jesus is not, he's not using these disciples. This isn't like he's like plugging them into some machine that just like cranks out ministry. He's inviting, so this is clearly, he doesn't need them. You ever thought about this? He doesn't need any of us. Uh, Has anybody ever read the book, the Dreams and Visions book about how there's people in other parts of the world where there isn't a gospel presence, have dreams and visions about Jesus. Anybody? No? Yep. Okay. 
Cool. Great. Tyler, you and I. So that's a thing. You don't have to believe that. It's fine if you don't. But there are places where there are no Christians, which is weird in the Bible belt of Southern California to say that. There are places where there are no Christians. There are places where there are no churches. There is no gospel preaching. How are these people going to hear about Jesus if no one is sent to them? That's a legit question. And what, what we're finding, especially in parts of the Muslim world, is that Jesus himself sometimes is showing up in their dreams. And he's saying, here I am. Believe in me. So it's a whole thing that I can't get into right now. But my point is, he doesn't need us. He could actually get from heaven, like a heavenly loud whatever, and he could just say, I'm real. Believe in me. You got 20 minutes, and then I'm shutting this thing down. <laughs> yeah. He could do that if he wanted to. He's not a high-pressure salesman, so he doesn't do that. Um, he invites us into his mission. He invites his disciples into his mission. It's more for us than for him. <laughs> we need this mission. So lest we think that life is all about us and making money and being something. Pretty remarkable. This was a part of following him. Jesus had a mission. The life of Jesus continues in us. So you have a mission and I have a mission. The students are becoming like their master. And this is really important. Another quote. I think this is the last one. That's not true. There's more. Jesus, this is Michael Eaton again, a Bible scholar. Jesus insists that they should rejoice even more. Again, more in this peace. Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. Then upon, the, this is the key, upon the basis of an assured peace, he tells them they have work to do. Upon the basis of an assured peace, they have work to do. So that's point number two. If you're taking notes, upon the basis of peace, we have work to do. Upon the basis of peace, we have work to do. This is good news. One more quote. Colin Cruz. Jesus repeated his greeting, peace be with you. I'm going to just keep saying it. Peace be with you. Because how many of us really have peace? <laughs> We're just honest. So I am, I know I'm, I'm touching the runway and taking off again, but just peace be with you. Peace be with you. This time it came with a commission for his disciples. So <laughs> restored relationship first, and then a commission. Peace, peace. Instead of approaching them for their, reproaching them for their failures, scolding them or whatever, he recommissioned them as his emissaries. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I'm going to read that one more time. Instead of reproaching them for their failures, he recommissioned them as his emissaries. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Amazing. This is worth sitting down with and thinking about for a while. Again, there's, there's this... Whoa. Get excited. There's this concept of, of taking time to think about stuff that I think we've lost. Uh, I think my parents had it. I think my grandparents for sure had it. My great-grandparents had it. Now it's really hard just to stop and think about anything because there's just like one distraction after another coming at us. But if you stop and think about this, there's so many implications here that Jesus would recommission these disciples who are ashamed and fearful and who rejected him and who betrayed him He's not resentful. Let's understand this. The God of the universe, we know what he's like because of Jesus. He's not resentful or bitter when we fail him. You need to hear that today. The God of the universe is not resentful or bitter when you fail him. 
He, instead, he dignifies our lives with the highest imagine, calling imaginable. We make a mess of it, and then he's like, all right, I'm going to put it back together. I'm going to make something beautiful out of it. This is good news. He's like, guys, what I've given to you, go and give it to others. What I've given to you, go and offer it to others. The grace, the forgiveness, the, offer it to anyone and everyone you can. Some will respond, and when they accept, they will be forgiven. Some won't, and they'll retain their sins. That's, that's what he said at the end. And as I thought about it, I, I thought of sort of like, imagine walking with a backpack full of stones. Anybody ever done that? It's a silly analogy, so now it's confirmed. Stupid analogy. But imagine it for a second, a backpack full of stones. If, that's, if those stones were your sin, then what Jesus is talking about is like taking that backpack off, opening it, and bringing those stones out into the light, unburdening yourself with, of your sin, bringing that into the light, and then all of a sudden you have a light backpack that you can keep walking so the people who unburden themselves of their sin and bring it out into the light, they're forgiven. But it doesn't take long in the Christian life to know that there's, there's going to be people that you run into who don't want to unburden themselves. They will not bring their sin into the light. They will not be forgiven. Not because they're unforgivable by any means. They choose not to. They love the darkness more than the light. I talked about that last week. That was my story for a long time. It's sad because it's, it's a burden. It's a huge burden to carry, like carrying heavy stones. But Jesus doesn't force himself on anybody. The offer goes wide and broad, but he doesn't force himself on a person. But the cool part is, of all this, he makes us unfaithful people into his gospel partners on the basis of peace. So where have I seen this in my life? When Jesus offered me the restored relationship with himself that I talked to you guys about earlier, he 100% recommissioned me as his emissary. It was instant. Once again, he sent me to the girl I was in a relationship with with the invitation of, come on, let's follow Jesus for real this time. Once again, it was like a clear, unequivocal, nope. No, no, no. Um, my 18-year-old, no, 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 dad. But this time, I walked away from the relationship and not Jesus. The basis of my peace was not his grace, was now his grace, not the relationship. And he helped me. That's the truth. I had no power to walk away from that before. He helped me. I know he did. And he sent me to the people I had avoided most, the church. He has a sense of humor. Uh, I was like, these are, the, he's like, these are the people I want you to devote your life to. So I jumped into a church community, uh, met a bunch of Christians, and began a process of being called into his work. I was a Christian, no doubt, but I had a lot of growing up to do, as some people in the room can attest to, Chad Kloss. Some of you knew me before when I was just a brand new Christian. So much growing up to do. Slow and messy. Starts and stops. Good moments, not good moments. Lot of rough edges. But the slow process of being called into his work which really, I'm not, I'm not just talking about this, what I do. Very few people will do this, and that's fine, because most people don't want to do this, which is totally fine. What I'm talking about is following Jesus, about being about his work in the world, about being people of forgiveness, who extend forgiveness. People who take what they've received and give it away in a variety of ways. That's what I'm talking about. 
what happened to me in this slow process of discipleship is that I've realized there's still a lot of unbelief in this heart. There's still a lot of areas in my life that need the grace of Jesus. Even as a Christian, I've been walking with Jesus for a while, even as someone who's called to be a pastor. It's on the basis of grace that we have peace. And it's on the basis of peace that I and we have work to do. And what I often find is that I lack peace, even in this work. But what I'm discovering, and this has been one of the great revelations of 2020, 2021, it's like I got the gift of time to be able to think through some things. And one of the things that I've discovered and I've been kind of working on is knowing that when I lack peace, that's an invitation for me to go back to where I'm lacking, where I'm not experiencing grace. Where am I missing is grace. When I lack peace, it's like, okay, go back. Where are you missing the grace of God in your life? Because the truth is, if the love of Jesus goes deep in me, it will go broad through me. I'm not sure if that's great grammar, but I'm going with it. If the love of Jesus goes deep in me, it it will go broad through me. That's the reality. It's as we experience his grace that then we go out with peace into the world and work. So for me, I'm learning how to do this. It's not perfect by any means, by no means. There's lots of moments where I lack peace, but now I'm trained to go back and figure out, where am I missing this glorious grace? Because I'm not really experiencing that glorious, delightful peace that he gives. I'll give you one quick example. Uh, this, this was recent. I had a moment where something very small happened. It was not a big thing. It's, it was more of like a, oh, that's a bummer kind of thing but I realized that all of this stuff bubbled up. It wasn't just about this thing, like a small thing, like all this fear and all this anxiety just bubbled up. And so now, because I've been kind of trained in this, I was able to go, okay, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know what's going on in my, that's Psalm 139. See if there's anything that's wrong in me and then lead me back into your path, into your way. So prayed that, and it became pretty clear right away, I'm afraid of failing. This moment, small as it is, triggered this deep, deeper fear of failing. And then so I'm like, okay, where have I experienced this before, God? And it was like, it came to my mind like this. This was probably six or seven years ago, or five or six years ago. This situation came up into my mind where I was really struggling. I was a very new pastor. I had my hands full. We had just had our second baby, uh, who's, who's now five. Um, so I guess it's five years ago. And then all of a sudden, it just felt like all oh, hell broke loose. I was struggling so bad in my work. I was struggling so bad in the pulpit. And I was overseeing a ministry that was um, n- not operating smoothly, that was raising a lot of questions. And the, somebody was asking, like, who's in charge here? And I was like, I am. It was one of those moments, real low moment. But then it became side conversations that turned into gossip, that turned into griping sessions um, within the church. Not broad, but there, there was a pocket. And it was about me. It was about the ministry I led. And it hurt and I was struggling, and there were issues for sure. There were things that I needed help, which I got um, from, from some very loving, mature Christians who were like, let's talk about this. 
But I didn't realize how much of a wound I still carried from that experience, from that criticism. And that's what came to mind when I start diving. Again, this requires um, time and unhurried, distraction-free environments. Hard to come by, but they're worth it. To unpack this stuff with Jesus. And I realized that I carried that wound. I realized I had no peace as I did Jesus' work. So I was like, Jesus, I need your grace to be poured into this wound so that I can be at peace and return to joy as I serve you. And he reminded me as clear as day that he took care of that whole situation for me. I couldn't handle it, so he did in the most amazing way. One of my bucket list experiences, uh, how many people have a bucket list? Anybody? A few? Okay. So I have one, kind of a running thing, running tally. Of, of, of experiences, one of them that was high, high on the list was going to the Home Run Derby, which is a um, glorified batting practice that's really expensive to go to uh, during the All-Star Weekend for baseball. And I always wanted to go. I grew up watching them. I grew up, like, that was like a little holiday during the year for me. Like, we'd invite friends to my house. We'd order pizza. It was like, Mom, I can't do anything. The Home Run Derby's on. Um, that was my, it was just such a, such a thrill. I wanted to go. And in 2016, the All-Star Game was in San Diego, which is where I lived. So I was like, I'm going to that home run derby. And I found seats. It was amazing. I went with a friend. And so that night that I met the home run derby, <laughs> there is a town hall meeting happening with this group of people that I completely missed. So and that town hall meeting resolved all the issues that were happening. So it was like Jesus was reminding me, like, I was in the boat, going through a, like, navigating through a storm, big waves, lots of rain, and I sent you on a little dinghy over to a, a beach so that you can drink margaritas and have fun. <laughs> That's what happened. And I was like, oh, that is what happened. And I was like, oh, man. I was able, I, peace returned, joy returned, and I was able to get back on with my day and with my work because he had it for me. He took care of me. And I just didn't remember. I hadn't integrated the reality of his work in my life into those, his healing work into those wounds. And the rest of that day went very differently. That's a very small example, but it's one that I bet if we were to stop and really develop a a life of reflection and, and some silence and some solitude, we'd probably find a lot of. A lot of wounds, a lot of pain that we carry. But it's on the basis of, so it's the basis of our peace is his grace, and upon that basis of peace, we have work to do. His work that he called us into, it's supposed to be on the foundation of peace, not stress or striving or performing or whatever. His word was peace, now go. Peace, now go. I receive you. I give you better than you deserve, now go. Go and share what I've given to you with others. Does that sound like a life that anybody would want? <laughs> That's way better than I had. It really clarified some misconceptions that I had early on. As a Christian, that all, all it was is like cost and pain, and I'm gonna lose everything if I follow Jesus, and all that stuff. Actually, it's like a life of increasing and deepening joy as we experience the grace of God bringing healing into our lives.
that we get to then share with people. I'm going to go ahead and call the band up. So I'm going to land the plane. Are you a tired, exhausted, and weary disciple today? Does following Jesus, serving him, sometimes feel burdensome? I feel like one of the main things, implications for us as a church is that it's like Jesus is saying, I want my love to go deep in you, dear brother. I want my love to go deep in you, dear sister. Only then will it go broad through you. Check on my grammar later. I think you guys know what I'm saying. We can't give what we don't have, but what we've received, we can give. We can't give what we don't have, but what we've received, we can give. So I just want to remind you of what we've received. We've received a king, Jesus, the one who made us, the one who determined that we should be alive. He's come to us in the flesh. And he bore patiently with really broken, messed up people who he called his disciples, who betrayed him and rejected him, much like we walk out on Jesus and he died. He went into the tomb. He died with our sins. And then he rose to new life so that he could offer each of us a restored relationship. That's the truest thing about you and about me. He died so that we wouldn't have to. So today, I just want to ask the question, are you delighting in his love? Are you experiencing his love? Do you have peace? And if for you, if the answer is, there's so much more for me, so much more peace that I want to experience, there are things that are causing me to lack peace in my life, I want to encourage you. I'm going to call the ministry team up as well. Got you guys this week. They'll be over here. I'm going to encourage you, if you're lacking peace in your life, to go get prayer for whatever reason. I'm hoping that it'll just be a steady line of people going because if I know anything is that our culture is a culture of fear and we don't have peace. So it's okay to go get prayer. It's actually a really good thing. You can go get prayer. For some of us, I just want to encourage you. Rejoice. You've been forgiven. You've been loved so deeply. Like we can worship freely. We can express our love to him with song, with, with our words, with our emotions, with everything that we have. So some of you, I just want to encourage you to sing and to praise him. For others of you, I want to encourage you to go get prayer because I think Jesus wants to reveal his love to you again. Like he wants to say, look at my wounds, look at my side. Let's go through it again from the, from the top. I, I offer myself to you. Come and receive me. And the last thing I'll say, you guys can stand up if you're able to. We'll go ahead and sing here in a second. But knowing our, our community, knowing our church, there are going to be probably people in the room who are just tired. But you've been serving Jesus for years, but you are tired and you know it. And serving Jesus isn't necessarily something that's like been, been based on peace, but rather on other things. Can I just encourage you, go get prayer. I really do think that Jesus has something for you today. So yeah, I'm gonna pray. Father, thank you that it's on the basis of your peace that we work and that we have this foundation of grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace that leads us into our lives, into our 
specific callings, into our roles, into our specific stories. And I pray that we would be a people of grace and peace, and that we've received that grace and peace from you, and that we can then go out into the world and give what we have received. Would you come, Holy Spirit, minister to our hearts, heal us where there's wounds and pain, so that we could have peace and joy, full of grace towards each other into the world. We love you. In your name, amen. Okay, let's sing. Encourage some of you guys to go get prayer if you're lacking peace. And then I'll be back up in a little bit to close this out. and peace are the foundation of the Christian life. Uh, as you read the New Testament, you're going to see that a lot. It's like the first thing Paul says, grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. It's everywhere. There's a reason why. It's so easy to build our lives on something else. Even our work for Jesus can be built on something else. It can be built on persona, on charisma. There's like way too many horror stories out there right now floating around our, um, our world about that. It's really built on grace and peace. And so my desire, my prayer for you is that you would walk out of here knowing that grace and peace is what Jesus offers you and that you can have it. That you'd cultivate a life of really finding grace in the middle of your lack of peace, of seeking it, of not giving up until I'm at peace because Jesus has met me and I understand who I am now. So with that said, um, I want to call up Trevor real quick. Maybe you can give us some instructions on how to tear down. And I just realized that I don't have a mic. Wow. <laughs> a mic? Okay. Uh, so I want to thank you again, Trevor. Thank you for setting this up for us. This was wonderful. Um, so Trevor's going to give us some instructions on how to tear down. We, we want to leave this place better than we found it. <laughs> This is kind of, this is the way of Jesus. Let's, let's treat the Bible college really well by picking up well for ourselves. And I'm just going to ask Trevor to give us some practical ways to do that. And then also, our prayer ministers are still over here on the side. So there's still time to get prayer. If you feel like something that we talked about today was for you, uh, please feel free to go get some more prayer. So take it away. Well, hey, guys. Um, so yeah.